and welcome to Pen to Print, Insider Tips with Creative Media Agency, the podcast where we unravel a few of the mysteries of publishing. Whether you're a new author looking to break into the industry or a seasoned professional seeking deeper insight into the community, we're here to bring you advice, information, and just enough insight to help. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our next episode of Pin to Print. Uh, I'm Megan Frazier, and I'm here with Haley Casey, Shannon Snow, and Paige Wheeler. How are you all doing today? Doing, doing great. Yeah, how are you? I'm good. So today we're going to dive into how to write your query pitch and some of the best practices for submitting queries. We're going to tackle both nonfiction and fiction. So to start us off, Paige, would you mind describing what a query is? A query is a letter of inquiry. So it's an introductory letter explaining who you are and what book you want to write, what your manuscript is about. That's all it is. It's very similar to a cover letter when you send off your resume. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's great. So what are some of the components of a query? So I don't think you necessarily have to stick to this exact script when you write a query. I kind of think of it in that traditional like five paragraph or so way, but you may approach it a little bit differently. And if you see success that way, that's wonderful. But what I would say is, first and foremost, you know, you can start with a little bit of an introduction if you want, not a necessity, but it may be a nice place to say, you know, this is where I found you, or it's a good place to say, I know this or this client, or I read this or this book of yours, or I saw on Manuscript Wishlist that you really wanted that, or you just started repping this. So that might be a place to sort of say, here's why I picked you in particular. Um, otherwise, what you really want to do is next give us an out, like kind of an overview of your story, right? You're trying to think of it as, in my opinion, sort of dust jacket copy. If you were describing the book, what would you say? How would you introduce the character and kind of the main conflicts? So we really want to get, that's the most important part, because we really yeah. want to get a sense of what your story is about. Um, we want to know who we're following and why we should care and all those sorts of things. So really think about how you would present that work to somebody new. You know, when someone says, what are you writing? This is sort of how you describe it. And really take your time polishing that piece of it up. I do think more than any other piece, you can leave out an intro and a conclusion if you want. But if you don't tell us what the book is about, there's very little we can do for you. So I would say that at least needs a couple paragraphs, two or three at the most. And we also really want to hear about you. Um, like we say all the time, we are looking to take on long-term partners in this industry. And so we want to know a little bit about you and you know, if you're a part of any organizations or anything like that. If you want to, you know, mention you were a creative writing major or you've had this article published in this literary journal or this magazine, things like that to kind of establish a little bit more of your author platform and tell us why, you know, we might be interested in working with you in particular. And then I think there are some other basic things you want to include, like 
a salutation, like the title and word count of your manuscript, all those sorts of things. But it's sort of that, to me, that five paragraph intro, overview of the book, and then author bio. Yeah, I think that's a great overview of like the parts of a query. And so now we can dive into each individual aspect. So Shannon, when authors are introducing themselves, are there things they should definitely touch on? Are there things that they should avoid? Could you kind of discuss how to approach the intro of the query? Sure. So I am honestly kind of with Haley when she said that, you know, an introduction isn't always necessary. If you want to jump straight into your summary of what your book is about, that is perfectly fine with me. Um, it's sometimes nice to have if an author would put in a little, just an introductory paragraph, just to say, Hey, I read your manuscript wish list and I noticed that you, you know, like this type of book and I just happen to have that. And, or, Hey, I noticed on your manuscript wish list that you like this particular TV show. I think we might click, you know, I, you know, I don't mind what they put in their intro, um, and like I said, if they want to skip an intro altogether, that's fine. I'm not real particular. I know some agents may be a little bit more particular, but to me, it, it doesn't really matter as long as I have that summary and that summary makes sense to me and excites me. I've seen intros, uh, handled a number of different ways. I love it when an author is familiar with one of the book's that I have worked on and and states it up front, saying mm. I I read X book by your author and I immediately fell in love with it and I knew you I wanted you to be my agent. That is always terrific because of course we love the adoration and the <laughs> congratulations. Mm -hmm. um, yes. But also it shows they've done their homework. An author who's done their homework knows the sort of of projects that I represent and has already identified me with a book that has come out. Mm. Um, another way is, uh, the comp when they jump in right away with the comparison, um, that is often very helpful because at the introduction, I know exactly what they're going for before they even describe it down mm -hmm. below. So having a, a competitive title or comparable title rather is very, very helpful, but I have seen authors do some fun things with their query letters. Uh, they can start with a question. They can, I've seen authors write in the voice of one of the characters. Well, that's, that can be tricky because sometimes it backfires, but there are a number of different ways to handle it. I would say in that opening introduction though, make sure that you don't be too coy or too tricky. This is a professional uh, introduction to the agent. So you don't want to come off um, mm -hmm. on the wrong foot. Yeah. I agree, I agree with you about the comp titles. I, I definitely want to see them somewhere in the query for me. They don't necessarily have to be at the beginning, but I definitely do want to see them. So I want to get that in there. Well, and I also, I think Paige, you just made a really good point that like, yeah, it does need to be engaging and, you know, sort of give us a sense of who you are and what your book is, but it is, still a professional introduction. You are introducing yourself to this person for the very first time and hoping to work with them in a professional capacity. So you do have to ride that fine line between personable and professional. Agreed. That's yes. You stated it perfectly, Haley. 
Paige, you mentioned using comp titles. Do you have any advice for authors on how to go about finding good comp titles for their work? Well, hopefully the author is well-read in the area in which they're writing. So uh, you don't want to write a a middle-grade novel if you're actually not reading middle-grade novels. So I think one of the more important takeaways from here is that when you're writing something, you really need to be immersed in that genre, whether it's fantasy or horror, middle-grade or picture books or whatever. You should be familiar enough with it to immediately come up with books that may be similar. If not, then you should do your homework and find out, is it, are you, are you going to talk about comp titles in terms of plot, in terms of tone? Um, what is it going to be? How are you going to compare what you're working with, with something that's already been published? One suggestion is to make sure that your comp title is something that has been successful and that most people are familiar with, not something that is rather obscure. It's not very helpful to agents to mention a, a, a book project that may be very similar to what you've done, but no one's ever heard of it, or it didn't sell very well. That's not getting off on the on the right foot. And if I can add, I would also say maybe stay away from the super best-selling, everyone has read this, everyone is talking about this type of book as a comp. I, I feel like it can be really tempting and obviously we will know exactly what book that is, but it is sometimes setting the bar a little too unrealistically high to say my book is just like Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson series. Um, Or if you're going to do that, I do think you need to tone it down with something a little bit less high end. Maybe, maybe they could say something like it shares the same XYZ quality of Percy Jackson versus also, you know, the, romantic quality of this type of book, you know, this. Yeah. I love that approach. I do. I like it when um, at least two comps are, are given because that really helps try and position it in the marketplace. Yeah. So um, the other thing in that opening paragraph, you may want to avoid, and I've seen authors do this is to be overly confident that this is going to be the next bestseller. Um, yeah. While we appreciate the confidence that the author <laughs> has, um, it is often not the best work that we see where the person is overly confident. Um, have a little bit of humility and realize this is very tough. Uh, I, you have to believe in your work, but at the same time, the assuredness that uh, authors can state saying this is definitely going to be the next best-selling work and we're fooled if we pass it by mm-hmm. um, kind of raises red flags for me. That <laughs> How often do you see that page? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it can be tough though, because you're like, Oh dear, is this person willing to take direction? Are they willing to make revisions? Right. Um, why do they think this is superior to everything else out there? You know, wh- what is their basis for this? So it may um, send the wrong message to yeah, the agent. Yeah. Nothing wrong with being confident, but when you turn and turn that into a little bit cockiness, it's a little uh, disconcerting. So once an author has created their introduction, maybe included two comps, they can move into describing the manuscript itself. How long should that summary be? And should they include how the story ends? Or would you prefer for them not to spoil the manuscript? Personally, for me, 
Um, I think that, you know, two, three paragraphs maybe the, um, would be enough. I really just want to be able to get to the end of that summary and be able to, to know the who, what, why, when, where, how. So basically, I, I want to see, I want to get a sense of the setting. I want to know who the character is, what they want, what they're after, why they can't have it, what's standing in the way. I want to want I want to know what those goals, motivations, and conflicts are, and if they leave that kind of open ended with with some sort of a question or a, a statement of will they get there, you know that that's fine with me. But I definitely have to know what's going on, why, where's it going from here, and what's the big issue, what's standing in the way. I have to know those things in order to get an understanding. And I have seen some query letters where they're able to convey all of that plus a sense of the character. And I love those type of queries where they're able to insert um, bits of who the character is. So that way I kind of already know, Ooh, this is the type of character that would do this, you know? So I can, I can kind of get that feeling about who the character is before I've even read the work. I actually agree with you, uh, Shannon. I think you did a great job pointing out that we need to learn in this paragraph um, the setting, the characters, and specifically the goals, motivation, and conflict. The only part that I differ with you is I feel like three paragraphs might be a little long. Um, I don't have a lot of time. I go through these very quickly. So in a paragraph, or at most two, I want to get a sense of that. So writing all this succinctly for me is key. Um, but if you can do that and give a mm. sense of the character in the story and that sort of energy that I'm going to be reading about, that's, that's yes. helpful. If I could add one thing to that, I think that the fewer amount of paragraphs that you can do that in says something about your ability as an author as well, because it says to me that you're able to use an economy of words to get across what you need to get across. Right. And I think there are some authors who confuse that sort of overview of the story with a more detailed synopsis of the story. Yeah. So I don't think you need to give away the ending or the big mm. reveal or anything like that. I think you just need to lead us up to, you know, that the big moment and sort of leave us wondering where it's going to go from there. And I think I, I see that mistake fairly often where people might spend too much time in that overview, really setting up the story. Like, here's the character, here's their everyday life, here's exactly what happens. And it doesn't leave a lot of room for sometimes a real interest to dive into those pages to actually find out what happens and learn more. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of when I used to be in elementary school and they would have us do book reports and, and everyone was so fond of saying, but you'll have to read the book to find out what happens next. And we would all write that. And, but really, honestly, that's kind of how that summary needs to end. I leave me wanting to know what happens next, you know? Paige, I believe you've given the advice to authors before that if they're struggling to write their query letters, they should go to the library or the bookstore and look at the back covers of some of those titles that are maybe similar to what they're writing, which I think is great advice in order to figure out the flow and how to discuss the conflict and the characters in a really condensed way. Right. A back cover copy of books is a great starting point when you're trying to figure out how to write your query letter. Because back cover copy is, in fact, sales 
material, right? Sales copy, just like your query letter is a little bit like sales copy. However, I wouldn't be as mm -hmm. coy and it'd be a little bit more um, informative in your query as opposed to back cover copy, but it's a great way to condense it uh, and look at how the publishing house decided to position this book and, and sell it to the marketplace. And that's what you, the author, are, are trying to do as well. In your query letter, once you've introduced yourself, added a few comp titles, you move into the summary and the pitch of your manuscript, and then you'll close out with a, maybe a little bit of information about who you are, some of your author bio, maybe some other works that you've written or writing groups you belong to. Are there any things that authors should definitely add in that final closing paragraph, Haley? Oh, I think that's a really great, great question. And I think it's one I have seen authors struggle with sometimes because they don't have previous writing experience or publications that they can add to make them, you know, to show a history of being a part of the industry. And I think that that's okay. I am certainly not expecting debut authors to come in with tons of publications under their belt. So I think if you can tell me any, if you have any connection to publishing, of course, that's really great. I think if you have any, you know, connection to writing in the sense that I think if I was writing a query letter, I would probably say, you know, I majored in English with an emphasis on creative writing, something that made it clear there was some sort of practice behind it, or, you know, I had spent time working on this craft. So if you have that to add, I think that can be really helpful. Um, but if you don't have much to add, I would keep it pretty short. Um, I just don't think there's no, I've seen author bios go on far too long without a lot of relevant information. And to me, that's, I'm less likely to focus on that piece of the query and more likely to focus on the book overview. So as long as you're telling me a little bit about yourself and I would include perhaps your email address at the bottom or social media links or something relevant so that if I wanted to go learn a little bit more, I could. But otherwise, I don't think I would stress too much about writing the perfect, you know, lengthy author bio. Paige and Shannon, I don't know if you disagree with that. I agree. And the other thing you have to realize is what's most important to us are actually the sample pages because it's going to be the writing itself that we're going to we're going to evaluate. Um, your query letter can be disjointed, but we could be blown away by the writing that we're reading in the sample pages. Conversely, you may do a bang up job writing a great query letter, and I'm very excited, and then get disappointed when I I read the actual meat of the material uh, in those sample pages. So, getting that query letter is so helpful, um, but the sample pages are really where it's going to shine and we're going to see uh, just how well you are. So if you have a short, how well you're doing, <laughs> we see a short, um, we see a, a short bio. That's okay. I'm going to immediately flip if I'm intrigued by your query to those, those sample pages and jump in. I do differ a little bit in, in that I don't, uh, I, I do like to kind of see if someone uh, is a member of a writer's organization, because to me, that means that they are working to learn and to better their craft. Um, or if they have any um, comp titles they didn't include in the opening, then they could include them there. 
Um, and then, you know, if, if they have any previously published credits, then that would be a good place to put it, but it's not going to make or break me in liking your query. If you don't have all of that in your last paragraph, um, because as Paige said, it's the pages that sell us. So if you could have a beautiful query letter, but if the writing itself down there does not uh, agree with how well your query was written, then, you know, at that point it would be lost. But um, if the writing is excellent, it, if you didn't have an ending on your, on your query letter, then, you know, it doesn't matter. It's the writing that's going to sell it to us. So for those sample pages, should an author be pulling the first five pages or should they go through their manuscript and try and find maybe what they think are the most interesting pages or a great piece of conflict in the manuscript? I, I like to see the first five pages because when I send that submission out to editors, that's going to be the first bit that they read. And mm-hmm. we need to make sure that those opening pages are going to grab them and make them want to keep reading. And that's what I want to see as well. Now, we often have the issue that those either first five pages or that those first couple chapters have been worked over and reworked over and they really shine and we could get disappointed later on. But you've got to grab us at the beginning. Yeah, I agree. And I would say Um, Our agency guidelines go over this, and I'm sure most do as well, but typically you're going to be submitting something slightly different if you're submitting nonfiction versus the first five pages for fiction. So with nonfiction, as we say on the CMA website, we're really looking for more information about you and sort of a marketing plan for the book so that we're getting a sense of when we try to sell it, those are things that we will focus on. So it's the same idea. You're using what we would use to try to hook editors to try to sell us in your query letter. Well, actually, um, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and tackle what we see in a nonfiction book proposal because they're, they're, it's pretty specific. And it's some of this information that you need to drop into your query letter, but you don't go in as much detail as you would a full proposal. So the sort of things that we look for when we're reading a query letter for a nonfiction project is who is the audience or the market, right? Who's Mm -hmm. the audience? What is this book about? Um, And why is the author the perfect person to write it? Does that author have a platform or a way to really publicize their book? Again, we go back to comp titles. Are there other comp titles that are similar to this book out there? Um, And then that's the meat and potatoes that should be in the query for the nonfiction. And if we like it, then we're probably going to ask for a nonfiction book proposal, which will cover this in a lot more detail um, and also include a, a table of contents and chapter outline as well as sample chapters. So for nonfiction query letters, a little bit different than fiction query letters, because it's more about why is this a unique idea? Why is the author the perfect person to write about it? And is there even a market for it? Right. And often, sometimes nonfiction projects can be about trying to solve a problem. And I would add too, when you're querying fiction, you should have the full manuscript complete and ready to send out should it be requested. And with nonfiction, it's the same thing. You should have that nonfiction proposal and some sample chapters ready to go when you're querying. 
Correct. Because for nonfiction, we can actually sell the manuscript without it being written. It's just sold on that nonfiction book proposal and sample chapters. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, it's a memoir, then we usually request about 100 pages. So once you have your manuscript written, should you find an editor or have it professionally edited before submitting it to agents? I don't think it's necessary. If it is a part of your writing process and having that outside editor take a look at it before you query is really useful to you, go for it. Um, But usually it's money you don't need to spend if you've spent time revising and polishing your manuscript yourself. And a lot of agents are going to work with you on editing anyway, should we take that book on before it goes out to editors even, who then obviously do the same thing. So it might be creating unnecessary extra work for you because everyone's going to approach your manuscript differently. So what you take out or add in or change based on somebody else's feedback may be something that gets changed again in the hands of an agent. So I definitely don't think it's a necessity. I agree. The It's okay if you have... Um, a group of other writers that may be your critique group or something, and they're giving you feedback. Mm-hmm. But if you end up hiring someone to do a professional edit, what happens when you do get a book deal and your editor sends you a revision letter? Are you going to be able to step up and, and handle it yourself? Or are you going to have to hire someone else again? How much heavy lifting did that editor do to get your book in the shape it's in? You That's took the always, words right out of my mouth. I, yeah, was just, I, I was going to say that if you didn't say it. Yeah, I I always have that in the back of my mind. Okay, how much did that editor do versus how much did this author do on their own? Um, And if let's say the editor was contributed quite a bit, and the author had planned to work with that editor on this book and future books, but that editor is no longer available, is that going to impact the author's writing? So there's some things to take into consideration when you, you take that step. That's a great point. So once an author has written their query letter, attached the five pages, and are ready to hit send on that email, what should they review their email for in terms of things to take out or practices that don't always look the best to an agent? So some of those may be red flags or concerning aspects of submitting a query. I'm going to jump in here because I've been seeing this a lot, well, not a lot lately, but a little more frequently. I've been getting uh, queries from people who have already published their material online. And now they're, maybe it didn't perform as well as they would like. So now they've decided to try and go the traditional route with that same material. And that is a red flag for me that if it's already been out there, it's already been published, quote unquote, um, that's going to be very difficult to sell because the book has already been in the marketplace and publishers may not want to take a look at this. So Mm -hmm. for me, that's a red flag and authors have to think about this when they're making decisions of how to first show their work to the world. They want to go to the traditional route or they want to try self-publishing. The only time that I've seen editors interested in taking work that has already been published online is if it's hit a certain level of success where they feel they can take it to an audience in print or work on those subwrite deals. And usually that's, we're looking at above 10,000 copies. And even then it's not always successful. So it's a little bit of a gamble. 
Sure. I would say too, one of the important things for me, and it it won't result in an automatic no or me, you know, discarding the query right away, but sticking to agency guidelines as they're outlined usually on the website, they will tell you what they're expecting to see from you. So for us, you know, for fiction, it's a query letter and the first five pages. Um, if I open your query letter and there's, you know, a log line and then it jumps into the first chapter, there's I'm probably going to spend less time with that query than I would others. Or if I open a nonfiction query and there is nothing that we requested to be, you know, attached underneath that marketing plan, that author bio, I'm going to be less likely to spend time with that query. So I think those submission guides are there for a reason for what those agents really base their opinions on. And so for me, it's a bit of a red flag when it's very clear that those haven't been followed. Another thing that I want to jump in that we haven't really touched on is word count. Mm. I like to see word count in the query letter because that way I know how long, if I request the material, how how long is it? Is it within the guidelines of the genre that perhaps the author is writing? Um, if we actually recently received a query from someone whose uh, project was 180,000 words, that is a little bit of a red flag there because 180,000 yeah. words is really the length of two books, not one. You know, you're looking for in fiction somewhere normally between 70 and 90. It can be a little bit higher if it's science fiction and fantasy. It could be up to 100. It could be 120. Um, and Shannon can probably talk a little bit more about that. If it's a cozy mystery, it's a little bit on the small shorter side. You have middle grade books and picture books have their own unique word count. So knowing the constraints of the genre and the area that you're writing and staying within it shows that you understand that part of the business. You understand the length of something you're supposed to write and or you have the wherewithal to and the diligence to edit your own work down to where it should be. I agree with that. I, I've actually had a couple of uh, submissions that were over, just overly long, very, very, very long. Um, I did actually end up taking on one of those as a client, however, because I loved the book so much that I just couldn't not offer for it. But um, I definitely agree with, with everything that you said. But one of the things that I definitely see in some queries that I would like to see changed a little bit is where an author will spend a majority of their query explaining why they wrote the book. Um, I definitely want to know anything that, you know, if you want to put a little simple sentence in of what qualifies you most to write this book, great. But when you spend half the query explaining to me why you wrote the book, then you, your, your summary is kind of mixed in there a little bit it's very difficult to kind of get a handle on what your story is even about. It's, Agreed. It's, it's more about you than it is about what you're trying to get me to look at. Yes. Um, another thing I've seen uh, that I don't like, and this is might be just me personally is rather than attaching the material, it's just to provide a lot of hyperlinks. Um, I feel that's a little bit on the lazy side when we specifically request as Haley had mentioned, follow our guidelines. We specifically request uh, sample pages um, either paste at the bottom or attached. 
So to provide a hyperlink to the work, uh, it's just a little bit of annoying. It's like me having to chase that material down instead of making my day a little bit easier by giving it to me. If that makes sense. I agree with that. I would also say pick an agent, you know, and address it to that agent. Um, granted, there may be more than one person at the agency that you would like to try, but it, give one agent a chance first before moving on to the other, you know, wait until they say no and then, then try to send it on to the next person if you want. Yeah. And I, I think a red flag for me as well, when I open an email and you've CC'd all of the agents that you're sending this query to, it's not great. It's not, again, I wouldn't say this is like a hard no for me, but it really does suggest that you maybe haven't done the research and chosen me as an agent in particular. You've just sort of found agents and sent it to them all at once. We expect that you're sending your query out to multiple people. I never expect to be the only agent who has your query at any given time, but I don't need to be on the same exact email as all of the other agents who have it. It's like applying for a job and sending it to all the companies (laughs) in your industry at the same time. You just, you know, you don't do it. This is, treat this in a professional manner. Don't, don't just be ad hoc. Yeah, this is business. Mm -hmm. Haley, you mentioned that you're expecting authors to be querying multiple agents. Do you have a recommendation for how many agents an author should query at once? Sure. I think that this has gotten a little bit trickier as publishing has changed slightly. So I am personally a big fan of the idea of querying in groups, Um, you know, selecting your top 10 agents or, you know, the ones that you've been looking at most closely, sending your query out to them and then seeing what kind of feedback you get. Um, Typically, that won't be you know, exact, detailed, here's what I would change about your query letter to make it more successful. But you will be seeing if you're getting what your request rate is, tricky to say, and kind of if they're saying your word count was a little too long, or if you're getting the same feedback over and over again, you can incorporate that into your query, revise a little bit, and then send it back out to a new group of agents. So you're seeing whether or not you're having success. And if not, you get to adjust. I personally think that's a really good way to do things. It's how I submit projects to editors as well. However, I know that response time is down and there are agencies who say, you know, if you don't hear back from us in this amount of time, it is a no. So I think where I maybe would have recommended 10 agents or so before I would up that. I would maybe start looking at 15 or 20 agents at a time, just because I do think across the industry, it's harder to get responses across the board and they're taking longer. And so it's going to be, you're going to be waiting for a while right now if you query just a handful and wait for feedback. That's good advice. Paige, you've been working in the publishing industry for a while. Do you have any tips on when, the, if there's a best time to query, when authors should be sending out their queries, or if there's times of the year that authors should wait to send out their queries? Yes, I've been in this business for <laughs> quite a while. Uh, and it was there, was, there were seasons to publishing, and uh, that has changed a bit over time. Um, we 
tend to consider our fall season, our busy season as agents. We're often getting our our big projects together and sending it out in September and October. By the time that the holidays come around from Thanksgiving onwards, it generally slows down a bit. And then in January, once everyone's back, we hit the ground running with our selling. So how does that impact queries that come in? Because that we haven't taken on yet. Um, We're still reading and evaluating queries while we're selling. We do shut down, though, publishing as an industry, those last two weeks um, of December, a lot of people are out of office. Now, agents, we never stop. So we might (laughs) still be reading. But often we'd like to take those those two weeks as vacation. Now, sometimes I'm using that to try and catch up on my submissions. Mm-hmm. I can easily go ahead and just close myself to queries as well. This also goes in terms of seasons through summer, which summer can often be a little bit slower because you're dealing with editor vacations. Um, and then in August, a lot of people take those last couple of weeks off. We also have summer Fridays. However... <laughs> Honestly, I have found that I'm busy year round. It just doesn't stop when it comes to submissions. I get submissions New Year's Eve at 1150. <laughs> I've received uh, submissions because maybe an author says, I promised myself I would send my material out in 2022. And I don't care if it is 1150 on 2022. I'm going to make sure I make that uh, promise I made to myself and they'll send it out. Or conversely, January 1st at uh, two in the morning, their New Year's resolution is to get it out. And there it goes. So (laughs) I'm being mindful that people have their own agendas and just Mm -hmm. go ahead and send it in. The nature of submissions have changed so much because when I first started out, they were paper submissions. Now they're electronic submissions. It makes it so much easier any day, any time for agents, for authors to send it and for agents to receive it and read it, um, that those boundaries of seasons, days, times, weekends have really condensed. um, And those borders are no longer very, very stringent. So, In terms of best time, be mindful of vacations, holidays, and where we'd like to try and spend time with family. But honestly, each agent is very different of when they decide to tackle and read. Normally, we are busy during the day, during office hours. We're doing administrative work. We're doing work on behalf of our authors that we already represent. And we often don't have time to actually read queries and read material that we've requested and has been submitted. That often happens nights and weekends and, in fact, on our holidays. Um, So bear all that in mind when you're submitting and realize that we are really backlogged because of the ease of submission now. Um, Mm -hmm. if, If we're looking at the question from the side of, I've written my book. When am I ready to go ahead and send it? Um, The best time for you yourself, um, I think would be a, after you've written the book and after you've gone through all of your revisions and you've got it to the point where it is as perfect as you can feel that it can be. And then you're ready to send it out. If anyone is kind of looking at that question from just being a, you know, I'm prepared standpoint. I'm going to, 
chime in again with one thing that uh, I don't see happen too often, but it does crop up. And that is the unrealistic expectation of time it takes from interest from uh, an agent to publication. So I sometimes get submissions where maybe an author is trying to time it with, let's say, the 20th anniversary of X, and that's going to happen in six months. So they want this project that I'm looking at to be published in the next six months. Um, And that's just not realistic. Realize that not only does it take a while for us to consider projects and then work on and send it out and sell it. But once the publisher buys the project, you know, it could take anywhere from a year to two years to finally get that book to market. So if an author is trying to meet a specific deadline within the marketplace, maybe that's tied to the book, they've really got to walk that back at least a couple of years for it to make sense. I would say, you know, two years out. So when I sometimes read query letters and I see the expectation of trying to meet a deadline, you know, the um, 75th anniversary of the teddy bear or whatever it might be, uh, that's got to have a realistic expectation of a timeline. Yeah, Um, I think that's a great point. Uh, I people not in the publishing industry are constantly surprised by the time the publication timeline. Mm. Yeah. While we're discussing the timeline, how long should an author wait to follow up after they send a query? Um, That is definitely on our guidelines on our website for submission guidelines. Um, I think what we're quoting at this point is four to six weeks, but (laughs) given the nature of, of the past couple of years, it may take a little bit longer. So um, I would say, Honestly, for me, it's been taking about six weeks. What about you guys, Haley, Paige? Yeah, I think like CMA, most agencies will have something on their website that says, here's our typical response time, or if you haven't heard back in X amount of months, consider it a pass. So definitely check there first and make sure that, you know, if they say it's going to take six weeks, you're giving them six weeks to get to it before you follow up and following those guidelines. Again, um, I've seen if they don't specify any of that, I think a good estimate is about eight weeks before you follow up if you can't find any other information. I agree with that. Um, With one caveat, if you are getting some nibbles from other agents, Mm. try and let all of the agents that you've sent your query letter to uh, know that there has been some interest already. And that way we can move it up the pile a little bit. Because what you want is if you have submitted it out there, uh, you don't know what stage that agent is in evaluating the material. So do give them a little bit of time, even on the query letter stage to say, hey, I'm getting some interest. Have you taken a look at my query letter? Because I'm really interested in working with you. And I'd love for you to be able to participate in in working with me. And definitely if you've received the offer from someone. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. Is there anything else that you all would like to touch on or bring up when it comes to queries? Um, I think for me, the only thing that I see authors worry about that I would like to touch on is the form rejection. Um, I totally understand the urge to request more feedback or ask, you know, why aren't agents telling me more about why they passed? And 
I think part of this episode will have showed you just how many queries we get and how big that backlog is and how often they come in. And so that's part of it. We simply do not have the time to sit down and craft a personalized feedback form for every single query we get, or we would be doing absolutely nothing else. Um, So I just want to encourage authors to not think of form rejections as really negative, when in fact, it's usually a bit of a time save. And if there's something really significant, like if I see a 200,000 word book, I probably will add a note in there saying like, hey, consider cutting this back a little bit type of thing. But otherwise, it is kind of a standard at this point. And so just don't take that to heart too much. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is great advice. Also, this is a subjective business. Yes. Um, and I think that maybe one reason why I'm not attracted to this material may be very different as opposed to why maybe Shannon or Haley uh, would respond to the material. So uh, because it is subjective, we need to be careful about the sort of feedback we do get and mm-hmm. what the author receives. But mostly, well, it's I'll be honest, it's time. The the I think um, Megan, you had done a little survey of how men, how much material we receive in the past year, right? <laughs> yeah, we receive about three thousand for each intern semester, oh. so it's probably close to ten thousand wow. a year. So that's quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can't oh, write yeah. <laughs> a, a personalized rejection for for twelve thousand, ten to twelve thousand queries as much as you might like to. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, rejection is definitely a big part of the process of querying. Everyone is going to (laughs) receive at least one rejection for their work. (laughs) I think even the best-selling authors have received rejections for their queries. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into why your query might be rejected and what some of the things you can do once you receive that first slightly painful rejection letter next episode. So let's transition and discuss some of the books we're reading this week. Haley, do you want to Yeah, absolutely. So I haven't had quite as much reading time the last couple weeks, but I did start um, a book called The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. She is my all-time favorite author. She's so talented. She writes in so many different genres. And so I read the H.G. Wells story first, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and then just uh, dove into The Daughter of Dr. Moreau. So I'm about five chapters in so far. And right now it's very character driven, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So I'm really excited that that's out and finally in my hands. That sounds great. I have (laughs) read uh, a couple of interesting books lately. Um, I read Allie Hazelwood's The Love Hypothesis. I've read Jennifer Lynn Barnes' The Inheritance Games. I love her. I've read Within These Wicked Walls by Lauren Blackwood. So those are a couple of uh, books that I've um, read recently. I'm about to jump into The Book of Lost Names by Kristen Harmel. And uh, I also have Jenny Lee's Anna Kay. Uh, mm-hmm. on my to-be-read file. So I'm looking to... Oh, I loved Anna Kay. You did. I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping into that. So that's kind of where I am. I have actually been reading a little old school lately. I've, I've gone back and started to reread some of my favorite Kuntz books by uh, Dean Kuntz. Um, I really loved his... 
eerie, creepy, psychological and horror or horror type stories. And um, I've been, I read lightning. I reread that one and I reread watchers and I'm in the middle of phantoms right now. So I, I definitely just felt nostalgic and um, Koontz was one of my favorite writers and actually made me a avid reader, you know, way back when. So um, I just felt like, reading some of his work and I've been on a roll lately and uh, the, those are definitely some of the stories and they're timeless. They, they just don't get old. Um, and he, the man has such a way of phrasing things that there's just no waste of words and he can paint such vivid pictures. And I love that in writing. So um, yep, that's what I'm on now. That sounds so enjoyable, especially as we're heading into colder weather. I feel like those like thrillers and horrors are really Maybe that's what put me in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, I think that wraps us up for this episode. Thank Thanks you, for joining Megan. us. Thanks, Megan, for hosting. Appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for joining us today on Pen to Print, Insider Tips with Creative Media Agency. To learn more about Creative Media Agency, our team, and our agenting mission, visit us at cmalit.com. Have a question we haven't covered in our conversations? Email us at assistant at cmalit.com, and you may hear the answer featured on the show. And don't forget to take a look at our show notes for more information and resources. Until next time... We hope you feel inspired to take your story from pen all the way to print.